The sermon which you are about to hear is by Pastor Chris Mitchell with Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, located in Wrightsville, Georgia. If you would like to contact us, please visit us on our Facebook page at Pleasant Grove 319. That's on Facebook at Pleasant Grove 319. Our desire is to connect you with the one true living God by encountering God every day, verse by verse. And now, here's Pleasant Grove's pastor, Chris Mitchell. If you would uh, take your copy of God's Word and uh, go to the first book of the New Testament. Ah, I was going to trick you guys on that one. Uh, we're going to set a foundational work before we get to the book of Genesis. We are going to get to Genesis, but this morning we're going to look at the first book in the New Testament known as the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, and um, we'll take a look at verse 24 through 29. So if you would, take your copy of God's Word and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. Um, thank you, Brother Delis, for that worship, and thank you, uh, church, for being here and, and for bearing with me. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we, we are going to take a look at um, exegetically at the book of Genesis, and more specifically, what I would like to do through the next year and a half or so uh, to two years is take a look at the first 11 chapters, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And then as we widen out of the first 11 chapters, chapters 12 through 50, we're going to take a look at the four patriarchal um, ancestors of the Israelites. We're going to look at um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're not going to necessarily, chapters 12 through 50, go verse by verse, but more specifically, take a look at the four patriarchs of the faith and look at some lessons that we can glean from them. Uh, I believe we're a New Testament church in the sense that we should um, preach the New Testament verse by verse and chapter by chapter because that pertains to us in the New Covenant. But also, I just really believe there's a schism in evangel evangelicalism today about the Old Testament. And that's why I really want to do it because I really believe the whole counsel of the Word of God is accurate. It is the Word of God. It's God-breathed. It's inspired. And every jot and every tittle will not pass away. As it says in Isaiah 48, it says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord shall remain forever. And that includes the Old Testament. That includes some... Uh, things that people want to disagree with, maybe concerning creation and evolution and things of that nature. And so we're really going to take a look at this because I really believe this is something for us today. So the, the sermon series that I've kind of titled this is Genesis, the foundation of our faith. We need to have a foundation to our faith, just like anything. If you build anything, use anything, there has to be some blueprint, some plan, some foundation to build off on. And let me tell you something that's very vital and something important. We would not have our faith today in Jesus Christ through the resurrection and death and burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, if there wasn't a Genesis. I'm going to tell you that right now. There are some that will say you don't need Genesis to have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you, without the book of Genesis, there is no death, burial, and resurrection. We need to have this foundation of our faith, and that's why Genesis matters, and that's why it's important, and that's why we're going to study this as we came to a close last week looking at the book of Revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we're making our way, we need to lay a foundation down and why foundations are important. Because without them, whatever you build upon, it will fall and crumble. And listen to me, the Christian faith needs a firm and strong foundation. And that foundation is none greater than the Word of God. It is the Word of God. How you know Christ and how you have a relationship and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ is through the Word. And if that is not your foundation, I'm here to tell you your foundation is the world. There's only two foundations that you can build upon. And I'm here to tell you there's a difference between the Word and the world. And we're going to look at that this morning. As we go through this sermon series, I'm going to try to do something a little bit different because it can kind of get boring, you know, going verse by verse in certain aspects. And when you're talking about evolution and creation and things of that, it can you can get bogged down in it. So what I would like to do is kind of give you a visual aspect. And what I mean by that is I'm going to do a lot of PowerPoints. I'm going to show a lot of videos. We're going to look at a lot of quotes. 
a lot of things what theologians or different people believed, and we're going to match it up with Scripture. What does Scripture say about the issue of creation and sin and salvation? Are those things found in the book of Genesis? Or as some pastors like to say, well, no, Jesus is not even in the Old Testament. And boy, that's a heresy because he is. He's all throughout it. And I'm going to show you through the scriptures how Jesus himself says, I'm in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you that. And, and we're going to look at that this morning. But as we go through this, you're going to see we're going to do PowerPoints, not every week, but until we get the verse-by-verse verse section. And when we talk about the global flood and we're going to talk about uh, fossils and when we talk about different things in the book of Genesis and the ark and all the animals and we talk about the different kinds and how could all the animals fit onto the ark or when we talk about a lot of those things and dinosaurs and we get into all those issues in the Tower of Babel in the Word of God, I just firmly believe that if you see something visually and I'm working on it where your smartphones could see exactly what's up there and you guys can follow along with me um, because I really believe if you visually see it and we're following along with the word of God you'll uh, uh, obtain the information better so I'm going to try to work on some of that uh, throughout this this week so I'm going to go back and forth uh, got a tablet up here so this is the first time I'm really kind of doing this on this so I don't you don't see me turn around all the time I can stay focused and look at what we're talking about and things like that so if you would stand out of reverence for the reading of God's infallible inerrant authoritative holy and all-sufficient word and we will begin in verse 24 of chapter 7 now, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is the sermon in which takes up three chapters. So this starts all the way back in chapter 5, 6, and it ends in chapter 7. So he's closing out this long discourse. It's what we call the Beatitudes. So this takes up a full length. It's the longest discourse our Lord gives throughout Scripture. And so he's giving this discourse. He's talking about how we should love our enemies, pray for our enemies, the Beatitudes. He's come not to take away the law. He's come to talk about different things within Scripture. And then he closes this out, talking about everything that he said. And then he gives us two options. He says, if you've listened to everything that I've said, you're either going to be a wise man or if you don't listen to what I say, you're the foolish man. And that's what he's talking about. When we come to the close here, this is what he's referring to. Verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, what sayings? Chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes, everything that he said so far, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall." And so it was, or so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the Beatitudes, chapter 5, 6, and 7, that the people were astonished at his teaching. Why? Ask yourself this question. Why were they astonished? For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is 100% truth. We thank you, Father, as we've been going through the book of Acts, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and the book of Revelation, and the last seven years we've been in the New Testament. Father God, my prayer is, as we look at the Old Testament, this will give us a firm foundation of our faith, but also will lift us up and realize that, Father, these words were written long, long ago. But because that they're ancient doesn't mean that we can just throw them away like old clothes from last season. These words are immutable. means it never changes. And your word says, I am the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And Father God, you're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. The grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the word of your Lord will remain forever. And as Jesus said, sanctify them with thy word because thy word is truth. Help us, Lord, to be sanctified in truth this morning. And as we take a look at the foundation of our faith, let us be stronger in our faith because we realize that our foundation is not based upon our denomination. It's not based upon who we are. 
It's not based upon where we've come from. It's not based where we go to church. It's not based upon baptism. It's not based upon how many Bible verses we know or what we can quote or how we think that we're strong in Christ. Our foundation is firmly rooted in the Word of God, which teaches us about Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that. And Father God, if there's any other spirit that is not of your spirit, rebuke those spirits in the name of Christ. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. As I've stated earlier, this sermon series is Genesis, the foundation of our faith. And if you would, go back to our uh, page there where it has our resources, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. There's a lot that has to say about certain resources that I want to give to you, because listen to me, you're not going to all get this just sitting here. There's so much to say on this subject. There are so many books written on this subject. There are so many things that we can discuss and talk and look at that there's just not enough time to even just go over the information. So first and foremost, the first and most important resource looking at this when we look at the book of Genesis and we're going to study it is that is the word of God. We need to allow the word of God in its literal form. And you're going to hear me say that a lot. Because there's a lot of people who say the book of Genesis is mythical or it's allegorical or there's some poetical style it's written in to teach us some spiritual lesson. Listen to me. The book of Genesis is literal. So when we see the serpent talk in Genesis chapter 3, he literally talked. Okay? This isn't some Disney film. This is reality. Because if God can make a donkey talk, he can make a serpent talk. Amen? And that's scripture. And so when we see that God created the world in six 24 hours, literal days, yes, he did. It's not thousands and millions and billions of years. People call this theistic evolution. Literally means that theistic, meaning God, God used the source of evolution to create everything. That's not what the Bible teaches, but there are going to be many who say that you can harmonize science or I shouldn't say science because science is created by God. And, and, and scripture is the word of God. But listen to me, secular science that endorses evolution, the theory of evolution, by the way, it's not a fact. There are no transitionals. Listen to me in the fossil record. There are no transitional forms. What is a transitional form? That is to say there are no li lower life forms like an ape transforming into a man fossilized. You cannot find it. It's not there. So the theory of evolution is literally a theory. It's not fact. And so although people may teach it, just this weekend, Alicia and I took David Josiah to the um, uh, Cherry Blossom Festival of Macon as we visited her family this weekend. And we went to down there to the park at Central City Park, and we had a great time. Uh, David Josiah loved the rides and things. But they had a dinosaur show and I knew it was the first thing that was going to come out of their mouth millions upon millions upon millions and 65 million years ago the dinosaurs roam upon the earth and Alicia just saw my head just sunk down I was like you've got to be kidding me but that's the world for you that's how they view it they view that the dinosaurs were millions and billions of years old and they were here on the earth and the asteroids supposedly came down and wiped out all the dinosaurs but that's not what the bible teaches and we're going to take a look at that. And so the very first thing that you need to understand about resources as we're looking at this is the word of God teaches this stuff. You just have to be willing to sit down, pray and ask God to guide you through the scriptures to teach you truth. Don't listen to what your professors or teachers or what the media or the world teaches about millions and billions of years. You need to see what God's word says. Another resource is Answers in Genesis, also known as AIG. Uh, they have a resource known as Answers.TV. They have over 3,000 videos there that talk about all kinds of subjects, all the way from children to adults to any subject that you want to pick. How did all the animals get onto the ark? How big was the ark? How did one man and his three sons created the ark in a hundred years? And things of all like that. You could research that until your heart is content. And also there's several great godly books inspired by the Holy Spirit 
to get godly men to write some of these books. And the Answers series, Answers 1, 2, and 3, and 4 by Ken Ham and Bodie Hodge and some others that have written some uh, great books there. Uh, Ken Ham also has another book called Already Gone, talking about why is the young adults uh, that are leaving the church. In other words, when it seems like they go off to college, they don't come back. And if you read that book, Already Gone, it's not necessarily talking about high school students in the transition from high school to college leaving. It's talking about how in church, the middle school and high schoolers and even elementary students are leaving the faith, even though they're not going off to college because they're learning in school. There's a difference between a story in Sunday school or reality when you touch a biology book and you're studying science in school. And unfortunately, that's happening. It's a very, very good book. I have it. If you would like to borrow it, read it. Uh, please see me afterwards. Uh, it's a really, really good book. A lot of statistics and things why people are leaving the church because the church is not willing to touch subjects like creation. So many pastors and so many people are saying, you know what? Just have faith. Go do what you got to do and, and life will be great. Um, and there's another book called The Battle for the Beginning awesome book by John MacArthur really goes expository through Genesis chapters one through three and really goes in the detail how we can trust the word of God through creationism rather than evolution. And so those are some things that I'm just throwing that out there because I can't cover all this information. You know, you're going to have to do some study on your own if you want to know more about it, but I'm going to try to hit some of these topics, these titles and these subjects as we go along through the book of Genesis so we can understand where did evil come from? Why, why is the world broken? Why are we living in the state that we're living in? Of course, we know the Sunday school answer is sin, but the book of Genesis answers those questions that you may have concerning that. So let's just go back a couple slides over, and I'm going to get through what we just read through here, the text here. And we're going to look at um, something that why I thought this was important right here. I wanted to show you this. As I read this, I uh, made an emphasis on this last verse here. And, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke these words, and the people were really astonished at, at the sayings of Jesus. And it says, because having one authority, listen to me, the word of God has authority over this issue. And that's what Jesus is referring to. There's two types of foundations in which you can build upon. One has authority, one does not. And I'm here to tell you, the word of God has authority over the issue of creationism and over the issues that we're going to discuss in the book of Genesis. But when you decide, well, I can't trust the book of Genesis, guess who comes in authority? It's no longer the word of God. You, therefore, take the place of Scripture and say, well, I don't necessarily believe that. I believe this, so therefore, I'm going to take a little bit what the Bible says here, but I'm going to take what I firmly believe here because my college professor or the media or whatever people say, and you become the one in authority because that's dangerous when you say, I can't trust the Word of God. Because when you do that, you're saying, I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that decides what's right and what's wrong. I'm the one that decides how I feel. And I feel that, you know, the scripture doesn't get it necessarily right concerning creation. And so I'm going to interpret it a different way. That's very dangerous. So the question I want to ask and answer through this PowerPoint presentation and through various scriptures, we're going to get in some scriptures here, but I've got to lay some foundational work. And this is the question I want to ask and answer. Hopefully you'll walk away and you'll, you'll answer this question. What foundation are you building upon? What is your foundation? Remember, Jesus gave us two foundations. He said there's a foundation of rock and there's a foundation of sand. The rock has the foundation that's wise. The sand is the foolish man. So we see those two types of foundations. There are only two types of foundations in the world. That is the word or the philosophy or the mindset of the world. That is the foundations that you have. You're either going to trust God's word on certain issues in life, or you're going to trust what the world teaches. You're either going to trust what God has said, or you're either going to trust what man says. That's, the, that's it. That's the only foundation that you can build off upon. And I'm here to tell you, I'd rather trust God because his word never fails. It's 100% accurate. There are no errors in it whatsoever. And I do not want to trust man because man is fallible. Man makes mistakes. Man has an evil and wicked heart. All of us. 
I don't care who you are. The Bible says our unrighteousness is nothing but filthy rags. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be saved from our sins, not from hell. Hell is the result of not choosing Christ. We need to be saved from our sins. It is our sins that separate us from God, not hell. You understand what I'm trying to get at? It's our sins that separate us. That's why we need a Savior. So this is important. Now, why is this different? Well, I'll tell you why. Here's some just issues that the Word and the world deal differently. Life, for instance. The Word specifically says life is valuable. We're created in God's image. And that life came from the Creator, who is the author of life, the sustainer of our faith. The foundation of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it says in Colossians chapter 1, it says that He sustains all things. So that's what the Bible says concerning life. But the world says, well, life didn't come from a created being. Life evolved over a process of millions and billions of years, or even yet life is not so valuable because now we can abort a baby even after the womb, after it's been born. Why? Because there's no value of life. You see, there's a contrast here. The Bible says this, the world says this. Let's go to marriage. The Bible says very specifically that marriage is between one man and one woman. Even Jesus Christ himself says, Have you not read in the beginning, a man shall leave his parents or his family and shall cleave unto his wife? It says male and female in the beginning. God says that. That's what marriage is. But the world says marriage can be anything that you want it to be. It can now no longer just be between a man and a woman, but now it can be a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And now we're even here in the state of California where people are marrying their pets. That's no joke. People are literally doing this. Folks, my question is, when does this end? Where does the line get drawn? And I'm here to tell you, it's going to keep getting further and further and further. And then we're going to have legalized polygamy and we're going to legalize marrying multiple spouses and things of that nature. What about race? The Bible says in Acts 17, 26, that through one blood came one race. Through Adam, God created all mankind. But the world tells you there's numerous and multiple races. If you go to the doctor, how many times do you have to go in there and fill out your gender and fill out your race all the time? We're one race. I just want to put in there, I'm human, okay? I'm a human being. I'm not an animal that's coming to see a doctor. But whatever the case is, the fact of the matter is there's only one race. And we know that for the past couple of years, that has been the topic that's been dividing our nation, literally. And so the only way that this nation is going to heal and have a revival is if the people of God wake up and start teaching the word of God so that the heart of man, not the skin of man, changes. Amen. That's what needs to be preached. That's what needs to be taught. Unfortunately, the world sees it differently. And then here we are, gender. I don't even have to talk about this. I mean, just the NCAA right now, they have lost their bananas to allow men to race and swim and compete against women. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, they're going to win. The fact of the matter is, it's not about who's stronger or what's going on. The fact of the matter is, there are two different genders, and that's it. There's not different kinds and millions of them and different avenues. Uh, I talked with someone just this past week. They saw a video of a transgender person saying that they felt that they were different gender because at the age of two. At the age of two. You mean to tell me that you knew that you weren't a man, but that you were a girl at the age of two? My uh, four-year-old at the age of two, he couldn't decide if he wanted a ham sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It means to tell me that you can decide what gender you can be? It's ludicrous. But again, the Word and the world. Two different avenues, two different viewpoints, two different perspectives. And the question that I have to ask you is this, what foundation are you building upon? Again, Jesus says the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Which one you think is the rock and which one do you think is the sand? And if Jesus was alive today, he would call those people foolish because they're putting their trust and faith, not in the word of God, but they're putting their trust and faith in man and his philosophy and his mindset. And we don't need to do that. Look, folks, unfortunately, this is not just a contrast what's going on between 
you know, the word in the world or Christians and non-Christians. Unfortunately, the church has lost its bananas. Even the church has adopted some of these philosophies and mindset of the world and now is incorporating inside the church. And folks, I'm here. This is just a warning, a fact that I want us, uh, that John MacArthur said this, and I love this quote. He says, it is not our job to invite the world inside the church, but for us to invite heaven to come down. The church is not supposed to look like the world. And when we begin to emulate and when we begin to reflect the world inside the church, we're no longer the church. We're the world. Now, we can be in the world, but we're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to take the philosophies and the mindset of the world and allow it to permeate all throughout the church. And we need to be very, very careful of that. So again, the question I want to ask you is, what foundation are you building upon? Are you going to build upon the rock, the word of God, or are you going to build upon the sand, which is the word of man or the world? That's what you have to decide. And I want to bring this point up. Genesis is the foundation of our faith. If the word of God is the rock in which we based our faith upon, and if Genesis is a part of the word of God, then Genesis is the foundation of our faith. We cannot take the book of Genesis out and cut it up with scissors or ignore it and say we don't want anything to do with it. We have to know without a shadow of doubt what God wants us to do and how we want to do it. And through the book of Genesis, this is vital and very important. So why is Genesis the foundation of our faith? I'm just going to give you three examples. This is not just all that gives us the foundation of our faith, but there are some things that is found in the book of Genesis that if we didn't have the book of Genesis, we wouldn't have the answer to these, to these answers or have a, a, a answer to these questions. And that is this, creation. You would ask yourself this question. If we didn't have the book of Genesis, we wouldn't know about creation. So therefore, we wouldn't know who created us. Why did they create us? What is my purpose in life? Why did God create me? Or how did I get here? If you take the book of Genesis out, all those questions that you may have or that you may struggle with your faith or struggle with if there's a deity or God out there, you may not know. Well, wait a minute. Why was I created? Who am I created in the image of? Why did God create me? If God loves me, why is the world broken? All of those questions will come into mind, and that's found in the book of Genesis. And without that, we wouldn't have that. It would be removed. Or what about harmatology, which is the study of sin? What about if you just take Genesis 3 out? You know, hey, I don't believe there were really two people that lived long ago, and all the world came through them. And, and, and that there was some serpent that was talking to the woman. I can't believe that. Well, if you say that, then you take away sin. Well, the question is, well, why do we have acts of evil in the world today? Why do we die? Why is there plagues and turmoil and heartache? Why is there a war brewing right now going on in Ukraine and Russia? Why is that happening? If we take Genesis out, you can't answer those questions. You can't understand where did sin come from? Why do we sin? You can't understand that when your child is one or two and they want to take a cookie out of the cookie jar and you see what they're doing and they say, no, I didn't do that. And they got crumbs all over themselves, right? You understand it's sin. We have this nature, but you can't understand it. You can't ask the questions and you can't ultimately deal with death. You know what the answer is to evolutionists about death? Well, you know, you just cease to exist. Jim Carrey, he believes in this as well as certain other astrologers. Uh, you know, he believes as soon as you die, you turn back to the dust of the earth and you turn like a, 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 like a star because stars are made up of gases and dust. And so you become a star with the universe. I kid you not. That's what they believe. A lot of evolutionists believe that. You either become back in the universe or you just go into the ground and the worms eat you and that's it. There's nothing after this life. And folks, evolutionists cannot answer that question, what happens after this. That's why we need Genesis. We need to understand the consequence for our sin. We need to understand the separation between Adam and Eve with God. We need to understand why we're separated from God. We need to understand that there was a seed of woman that came and would deliver the children of Israel, known as the Messiah, and deliver us from our sin. But you can't understand it if the book of Genesis is thrown away. And salvation... You can't understand salvation, why you need to be saved. 
without the book of Genesis because the book of Genesis specifically, guess what? I hate to bust your bubble, but Jesus is in there. It doesn't say Jesus per se, but listen to me. He's in there because we can look at scripture and we can put scripture together like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle and we can see the whole picture when we take the whole counsel of the word of God and not like a buffet where we cherry pick what we want. You know what I'm talking about? You go to a buffet and you're like, oh, I like this, I like this. You know, the kids, they just skip over the vegetables. They don't care nothing about that. Well, you can't do that with the Bible, with the word of God. You either like it or you lump it. That's it. You take the whole counsel or you don't. God is not here to negotiate with you what, what you like and what you don't like in the Bible. He's here to tell you exactly, this is my word. This is my standard. If you don't meet that standard, this is the consequence for your disobedience. It's that plain and simple. But for whatever reason, people want to make it uh, you know, hard and complicated and things of that nature. So that's why the book of Genesis is the origin of our faith. It is the foundation of our faith. See here, you, you have a house that says our faith, and underneath it is a rock, a mountain, and it says Genesis inside of that mountain. And there, many people want to mess with, you know, the foundation there. But when you begin to mess with it, you begin to mess with your faith. And this is what happens. People say, well, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, you can't trust it. There's holes or the his, history of the Bible, you know, there's some inconsistencies. There's, there's holes in it. You can't trust it. Or there's many creation myths, many myths about the creation, and you can't trust it. And so what happens is they remove Genesis. They say, we don't want it. You know, you can't trust the, especially the first three chapters of it. And guess what happens? When you remove the foundation from a house, what happens, folks? It falls down. That's exactly what happens. Now my clicker, there it goes. All right, I'm clicking. My, my clicker's not clicking, all right? All right. Now he, maybe, the, maybe Clayton's doing something back there. I don't know. I'm just playing with you. But the fact is, that's what people are doing, and that's what people see. But listen to me, folks. Without the book of Genesis, there is no foundation for your faith. Without it, you won't know about sin and deliverance, and you won't know about creation and why we're here and why God created us. Without Genesis, you do not have a firm foundation. So here's a question that we need to ask, and hopefully we'll go walk through this. Does it really matter what we believe about Genesis? Now, you already know the answer to that. But just humor me and follow along with me, okay? Does it really matter? Some will say, well, hey, you don't need Genesis in order to be saved. And to that, I would say, correct, you don't. You don't have to believe in Genesis in order to be saved. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty self-explanatory. It doesn't say for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, and you have to believe Genesis is six literal 24-hour days. It doesn't say that. But listen, that's a subtle attack on God's word. How do I know that? Because listen to me, the attack is not on salvation. The attack is on God's word. And listen to me, when the attack begins on God's word, when you can't trust the beginning, then tell me, how can you trust the end? If you can't trust the beginning that God created everything in 24-hour literal days, then tell me, how can you trust that God raised his own son three days later from the grave? If you say that I can't trust the foundation, well, then you can't trust the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. You understand where I'm getting at here? And unfortunately, many people do that. And this is a subtle attack. It's not on salvation because there's pastors and seminaries and, and, and college professors that are saying, well, you can be saved and you can believe in evolution. They try to harmonize evolution with the word of God. And folks, I'm here to tell you, can people be saved and believe that? I believe they can, yes. But I believe what they're doing is they're doing more harm than good. They're not believing the foundation of their faith. And they're denying the word of God. And what ultimately happens is when a crisis comes in their life, who knows? They may reject the whole thing. Have you ever wondered why that scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says that the Spirit speaks expressly in the last days that some will depart from the faith? Have you ever wondered why? I mean, probably some of you, when you read it, you're like, how can you walk from the faith if you believe in Jesus? Those who don't trust in the word of God can walk away from the faith. You hear me? I'm not talking about just accepting Jesus and live your life and, and allow Christianity to be part of your life, okay? 
I'm talking about the Word of God, the whole counsel of the Word of God. People are going to walk away because there's going to come a time when the Antichrist comes and the pressure comes on and the church has been raptured and you're going to have to make a choice. Do I trust God's Word or do I trust my flesh? And I'm going to tell you what people are going to choose nine times out of ten and how they're going to walk away in the last days. They're going to choose their flesh over the Word. And so this is a subtle attack on God's word. And listen to me, the attack on God's word has been long standing, even in the book of Genesis. The very first words that Satan ever utters as he possesses the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is, Has God indeed said? That was the very first word Satan says. The very first word was recorded by Satan in Scripture. Some translations say, Did God really say? And that's the crux of every attack on the word. You attacked the word. Did God really say? Did God really say that he created everything in six 24-hour literal days? Did God say there was really Adam and Eve, first humans on the earth, and God created them? Did God really say that Cain married his one of his descendants, his sisters, and that's how he had children, as it says in Genesis chapter 5? Did God really say that there was a global flood? Did God really say there were dinosaurs on the earth with mankind? Yes, all of that. And that's what happens when we question God's word. We allow doubt to bring in confusion. Satan wants you to doubt God's word so that you can be confused about God's word. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. I know who is, though. Now, why is this important? Because 2 Corinthians 4.4 talks about Satan. What's his motive? Why does he get you to doubt and confuse God's word? Because 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, whose minds referring to unbelievers if you look at the context the god of this age god is lowercase that's referring to satan he's known as the prince of the power of the air has blinded and some translations say blinded men from the truth listen to me what satan wants is to blind people from the truth found in the word of god that's his mo he gets you to doubt it so that you can be confused about it and then you'll leave it that's the point he wants to blind men from the truth. Look what it says in Colossians 2, 8. Notice what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians in Colossae. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. That's very important. Philosophy. He's talking about the philosophy of man and empty deceit. And then he goes on according to the tradition of men. According to the basic principles of the world or the rudiments of the world. In other words, men's ideas and philosophies. Paul is saying, beware, people will deceive you from the truth. Do not fall for it. And then notice what he does as he closes out. And not according to whom? Christ. To Christ. Again, there's two foundations, the Word of God, which Christ is in the Word of God, or the world. And listen to me, the world has a lot of Christ. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of people who paint what they think Christ should be apart from the Bible. And listen to me, it's not the same Christ. There are many churches that are worshiping today a false Christ. Oh, they're using the Word. And oh, they're quoting Scripture. But it's not the same Christ of the Bible because they're taking that scripture out of its context. And therefore, they've created a God in their own image. And therefore, they're creating idolatry in their own hearts. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, I read earlier about that. But prior to that, Jesus says these startling words. There will be many on that day who will say to me, Lord, Lord. Didn't we cast demons out in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miraculous signs in your name? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I do not know you. There are going to be many pastors, many Sunday school teachers, many church leaders, many college professors, many people who thought they knew Christ, and they're going to hell. That's just the truth. Because they're not worshiping the true Christ. The only way you can do that is through the Word. That's our foundation. If you go anywhere else, you're in trouble. So how does Satan do this today? How does he go around confusing people and getting people to doubt? That's the question I had to ask myself. Well, listen what Paul says to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Ruh-roh. 
What? You mean to tell me he doesn't come at me with horns and a red leotard and a tail and a pitchfork and growling voice? You mean to tell me he doesn't do that? Of course he doesn't do that. He knows that you would spot him a mile off. So he transforms himself into an angel of light. Do you realize Satan was an angel? He still is an angel. He's a fallen angel. He was created by God. He wanted to be like God. He fell from heaven. Jesus said that in Luke 10, 18. I saw Satan fall from heaven. So we know that the scripture teaches that. Listen to me. Do you know that Joseph Smith, who started Mormonism, do you realize what happened? He said two angels came to him as angels of light and gave him two golden tablets and told him to write a new book apart from the Bible. Folks, that's how it happens. People say an angel came to me. God said this, and they start saying wacky, crazy things, and it's contrary to the word of God. That's why I always say it's the word, it's the word, it's the word. If you're not quoting and saying the word, the next thing that should be out of someone's mouth when they say, well, God told me they should be quoting a Bible verse. It should not be, well, God told me that, you know, Drayton, you need to dye your hair blonde because, you know, you got a little white there. That's not scripture. I don't know why people do that, but people do that all the time. People go up to people and say, hey, you know, you know, God told me you're going to have three children or God told me this is going to happen or God told me this is what this is going to go on. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We need the word of God. Continuing on, here's the startling thing. It's not just Satan. Notice what this, what, what Paul is saying. He's talking about false uh, prophets creeping inside churches. Notice what he says in verse 15. Therefore, it is a great thing if, or no great thing, if his ministers also transforms themselves. In other words, he has emissaries. He has ministers underneath Satan. And who are they? Well, guess what they do? They turn themselves into ministers of righteousness. Whoa. You mean to tell me that they work behind the scenes and then what happens is they begin to possess or whisper in the ears of pastors and other people and start using them as ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. So again, I ask you, does it really matter what we believe about Genesis? And of course it does. You can kind of see he's like a politician. In one way he says something, but then in another way he says no truth. And unfortunately, that is happening not just with Andy Stanley and his church, Discover Point in Atlanta, Georgia, but it's happening in numerous places. Why am I bringing this up? It's not, again, I'm not picking on the personality or the person of Andy Stanley. I'm, I'm simply choosing, if he's going to put it on the internet, he's going to choose what he teaches. It's fair game to show, is it, does it match up to the Word of God? And I'm here to tell you, what he just said doesn't. That's like trying to say, hey, Eat a BLT sandwich, but you don't need bacon, lettuce, and tomato. That doesn't make sense, does it? What Andy Stanley is saying is, look, you don't need the Old Testament scriptures. You just need Jesus. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is in the Old Testament scriptures. Again, it's very dangerous. It's like what Satan does. He teaches a little truth, but with that truth, he puts in a whole lie. That's what Satan does. Satan quoted the scripture to Jesus Christ, but he quoted incorrectly. Andy Stanley says you need Jesus to be saved. Well, that's correct, but how? He says, just forget about the Old Testament. Matter of fact, his words were unhitched from it. We don't need it. Just like Peter and them, they unhitched from the Jewish scriptures, so do we. Let's look at more specifically. I want you to look at this, because these are his words. These aren't my words. That there are many creation myths. The story of Adam and Eve is a myth. It is one of many. And notice he said when he was in that class with his college professor, he said us. He was including himself. So he wasn't saying, hey, everybody else believe this. If you play, that's why you pay attention to people's personal pronouns. You hear he was saying we, he was saying our, he was saying us. So he said she began to dismantle all of our faith. That's including him. And next week I'm going to show you he believes in evolution. He believes God used evolution to create the world. That's known as theistic evolution. That's incorrect. God never used evolution because evolution is not even true. But we're going to get onto that. That's another subject. But here he's saying it's a creation myth. Soon as you, here's the danger of why he's saying what he's saying. And this is where I want to get at. Soon as you pull one piece of the Bible to say this is a myth, here's the danger. What else in there is a myth? Well, you know what? If I don't necessarily believe in the creation of Adam and Eve and the serpent and God created everything, well, you know what? 
I don't like that verse that says all homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't like that verse. So that's a myth, and I'm going to take that out. And that's why we have homosexual pastors today saying, I'm gay, it's okay, and you know what? God loves me, and he created me this anyways. Again, it's like a Jenga set. You start taking some pieces away, eventually it's all going to crumble. No matter how you look at it, it's all the foundation of the Word of God. And if you can't take the whole counsel and you only take parts of it, then you're starting to make a big mess. That's what he believes in. So again, you don't allow Scripture to become the authority. You become the authority over Scripture. That's the point. If you, don't, if you believe that Genesis is a creation myth, well, who told you that? Or who gave you the authority to say so? Why do you disagree with it? Do you disagree with it because maybe you were taught millions of years in school and that's what you believe or that's what your biology or, you know, geology teacher taught you or whatever major you want to look at or cosmology or astrology, whatever science you want to look into? Are you saying that because of that? Or are you saying that because the word of God, you don't know if it's true or not? Again, if you say one area in scripture is not necessarily true, well, then you are the authoritarian. You are the one that decides, I say, this is right, this is wrong. And again, when you begin to do that, you make yourself God. And that's very dangerous because only God has the authority. The Bible, listen to me, is timeless. It's timeless. The Bible doesn't need to change. The culture does. You hear me? So many pastors and so many churches make the mistake we need to adapt to the times so that we can get more people inside of our church. Listen to me. Christ says, and or the book of the writer of Hebrews says about Christ that Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. God does not change. Although the culture may change, the word of God is timeless, and the word of God changes hearts, not how we are palatable or how we're appeasing to the world. We're not a seeker-sensitive church. We're not allowing the world to come in. We're here for the world to see the truth. And the only way they're going to see that truth is if we're the salt and the light of truth and we're upholding the truth, the word of God. Amen? Amen. That's the point. The word of God is timeless. And it doesn't need to change or adapt. It's not some ancient writings that are archaic. The culture needs to change. And the only way it can change is if Christians stand on the word and preach the truth and stop buckling under pressure of the world of evolution. Unfortunately, that's what happens when people believe in evolution. They believe that the creation was a myth. But here's, this is what Andy Stanley's saying. His problem is there's holes. You heard it. He says, once they find holes in the, in the Old Testament, some inconsistencies, once they find some holes in the history, or once they find some holes in the creation myth, well, you know what? That's because you can't trust the Bible. So, you know, it's the Bible, the Old Testament's the problem. And so if you're going to trust in the Bible, your whole house of cards are going to fall down. That's what he's saying. That's essentially what he's, the problem. If you look at the sermon series that he's preaching through, he, this was four years ago in the sermon series that he preached on around Easter, four years ago. And the sermon series was about deconversion Christians. Why are people walking away from the faith? Their, their faith was strong when they were little, when they were in church, but then when they went off to college or something, their faith got deconverted, okay? So they were no longer Christians. And so he made this sermon series and saying, well, I know what the problem is. I know why people are leaving the faith. They're leaving the faith because there's some inconsistencies in the Old Testament. There's some inconsistencies in the history, and you can't trust the creation myth. So people are walking away because they can't trust the Bible. So that's what he's saying the problem is. Now, that was four years ago. He's still saying that today. This is a tweet on his Twitter feed taken down, by the way, because he got a lot of flack from this. It was actually this month of this year, March the 8th, he said these words. Listen to what Andy Stanley said. The Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. Well, tell me how that works. Well, you know, maybe your manual to your car, there's some inconsistencies you know, by the way, if you put your key into the ignition, it might blow up in your face. Are you going to drive that car? <laughs> I 
I'm pretty sure if somebody read the manual or understood, hey, if there was a callback on a certain uh, item or something that you would have, you would be very cautious on that. So what he's saying is, look, you know, there doesn't have to be necessarily accuracies of the 66 ancient books. It rises and falls on the identity of a single individual, Jesus of Nazareth. Again, his solution to the problem why people are walking from the faith is, okay, well, let's get rid of, you know, the Old Testament scriptures. Let's just get rid of it, you know, because there's a bunch of holes in it. And we need to make our faith stronger. So what we must do is we must replace the Old Testament with Jesus. That's, that's all that matters. If you notice what he said, he said that history or our faith rises and falls on none other than Jesus Christ because the eyewitnesses, the resurrection of Christ. But again, why don't you eat a BLT without the bacon, lettuce, and tomato? You're just going to have mayonnaise and bread, and it's no longer called a BLT. The fact is, Jesus is in the Old Testament Scriptures, and without the Old Testament Scriptures, you wouldn't know who Jesus is. The Bible says that. And you can't get rid of it. That's why it's so dangerous. Ask yourself this simple question. How did you come to know Jesus? Probably the typical answer that's all coming in our minds is someone shared them with me. Well, then let's go back. Who shared with that person? And then who shared with that person that shared with you? And then who shared with that person, with that person, with that person that shared with you? They had to read the word. Someone had to read the word. Someone had to know who Jesus is to go out and share it. That's the idea. Notice what this is. You cannot know who Jesus is apart from the scriptures. You can't have a relationship with Jesus Christ apart from the scriptures. You can't not know who Jesus is, what he stands for, how the work of the ministry that he did, why he died on the cross, how he died on the cross, how he was raised from the dead, where is he at today, how he's praying for believers, how he's going to return and set up his kingdom. You can't know none of that without it in the scriptures. It's found in the word of God. Notice what Jesus says. I love this, man. The quote that Andy Stanley said was, he said, you know, they didn't have the Old Testament, the New Testament writers, or they didn't have Old Testament scriptures and things like that. They didn't have the scriptures, they didn't have the gospels is what he was trying to get at. But evidently he forgot about the Old Testament scriptures. Notice what Jesus says. He's talking to a crowd here in John chapter 5. And notice what he says. You search the scriptures. Listen to me. This wasn't the New Testament. When Jesus was talking, the New Testament hadn't even been thought of yet because Jesus hadn't even died yet and hadn't been raised from the dead yet. So the gospels have not been written yet. So when Jesus is speaking, you search the scriptures. What is he talking about? The Old Testament. Exactly. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And here is Andy Stanley saying, well, Jesus didn't even say it. Come on, you've got to be kidding me. The scripture says that Jesus says that he said that the scriptures talk about him. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. What are the they? The scriptures. And what do the scriptures do? They testify of me. In other words, the Old Testament scriptures that are not the gospels, that don't talk about the death and burial resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ, but the Old Testament scriptures that talk about when Christ would come to the earth, the first and second coming are in the Old Testament scriptures that testify of him. For if you believe Moses, now this is interesting. Why is he mentioning Moses? Moses is not in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament. And why is this important? You would believe me. See, you believe Moses, but you don't believe me when I'm telling you about eternal life. Why? For he, who's the he? Moses wrote about me. Guess what? Jesus said Moses wrote about the Messiah. And if you look at it, we're going to look at it. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Yes, he was not there at the day of creation. But I know who was God and I know God's word is 100% perfect. And I know when God spoke to Moses, he says, this is how it happened. And Moses wrote it down. Okay. Right there, right there. You can't deny scripture. I don't care who you are. You cannot deny it because if you do, you don't believe it. That's just the bottom line. Let's go even further. Jesus says, but if you do not believe his writings, whose writings, Moses writings, how you will believe my words. Ruh-roh, did you just see that? 
he equated the Old Testament scriptures equal to his words, which are recorded in the New Testament. And guess what? The New Testament and the Old Testament are canon and are equal and are scripture because Jesus said so. It's that easy. Go back to the scriptures. Jesus is in the Old Testament. I don't care what anybody says or what they think. Jesus is in the Old Testament. You cannot know who Jesus is apart from the scriptures. You can't. I don't care how good you think you are or how powerful you have with the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you, you need the scriptures to know who Jesus is. And when you begin to meddle and take it away, you're in dangerous territory. You are in danger of damnation and you're in danger of heresy and leading others to damnation. That is a scary thing. So how did you hear about Jesus? How did you hear about him? Let's look at what Ephesians 1.13 says. In him, meaning Christ, you also trusted. Well, how did you trust? After you heard what? The word of truth. You can't trust Jesus unless you hear about Jesus. You can't hear about Jesus unless you read about Jesus. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also believed. You can't believe in him unless you trust. You were sealed with the spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. So you heard about Jesus through the word. Again, follow the logic here. How did you hear? You heard because someone preached. And who preached? They preached the word. We're coming to an end here. I'm going to close with some of these quotes here. Here's another saying that Andy Stanley said. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it's all or nothing. That's the only thing I'm going to agree with him on. It's all or nothing. But he goes further and says Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards of religion. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards that comes tumbling down. And here's the startling thing that he says. When we discover, notice he includes himself, we. He does not say every people. He says, when we discover that perhaps the walls of Jericho didn't. You might gloss over this, but don't gloss over his words. Do you hear what he is saying? He is saying, look, the whole house of cards may come down because maybe perhaps the walls of Jericho didn't. Look, folks, as the Bible says the walls of Jericho came down, the walls of Jericho came down. If it says Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, the the Bible says that, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. If it says Samson had superhuman strength, if it says Joshua stopped the sun from going down and it added more than 24 hours a day, if it says the Bible says that Christ died on the cross and was our substitutionary death, if the Bible says he was born of a virgin, didn't need the seed of man and come to fruition, if the Bible says he was raised from the dead three days later, if the Bible says he spoke and Lazarus came out of the grave and the miracles and all the signs and the wonders that he did, guess what? The Bible says it. It's true. I don't care what anybody says or what anybody thinks. It's true. It's true. And we should not allow the world to tell us differently. Now, we may not understand everything. And we may not have the answer to everybody's questions in the world or when we witness to somebody. But that should not shatter or shaken our foundation of our faith. Just because we don't have the answers. You know, when people say all that, well, I'll say, well, hey, do you, well, do you know the mathematician and the, and the formula that, of light and how that works? And when Einstein says E equals MC squared, do you understand everything that he says? You don't go around asking people and they say, well, I don't know. And the famous answer people always say when they, they don't go to church, well, they don't, they, because it's full of hypocrites. When then I always tell people, well, why do you, do you go out to eat? Yeah. Well, do you realize that people that are in the restaurant, the bosses and the managers, they're hypocrites too. But that doesn't stop you from going to eat. So it shouldn't stop you from going to church because you don't have the answers or you don't know what's going on. The fact is we shouldn't allow anybody to deter our faith whatsoever. So again, does it really matter what we believe about Genesis? And yes, it does. Because it is God's word. And when we take God's word and we say, I don't necessarily believe that, we become the authoritarian and we say, that's not right. And to say that's not right, you're telling God, your word is not perfect. And that is dangerous. Our faith is founded on the word of God. And what's in the word of God is the book of Genesis which will make our faith rise. Okay? That's what it does. It's not a fragile house of cards that are going to come tumbling down. Our faith is rooted in the foundation and the work 
of Christ. Notice what Christ says. Therefore, who hears my sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did fall for it was found or did not fall, excuse me, for it was founded on the rock. What foundation are you building upon? Are you trusting God's word? Do you believe without a shadow of a doubt, this is the whole counsel of the word of God, all 66 books in the Bible? Or are you putting your trust and faith in your own religion? Because listen to me, evolution is a religion. A lot of people, atheists want to say it's not, but you got to have faith to believe that nothing created everything. You, you have to have some faith for that, okay? Because listen to me, I almost thought about it. I almost broke up a piece of pencil, put it in a shoebox, and gave it to Trey and told him the whole entire sermon, shake it up for a whole hour. And then we'll open up the box and see if the, the pieces of the pencil got back together and it formed together. That's the, that's the same thing what evolution is. Nothing times something doesn't equal everything. No, there was a creator. There was something that created something which equals everything. So as we come to a close, again, the question is, are you building your faith on the foundation of the word or are you building your faith on the foundation of the world? Only you can answer that. Next week, we're going to look at that foundation and we're going to look at four foundational truths of the book of Genesis, four of them, that if you don't believe those four things, you don't necessarily believe the book of Genesis as 100% accurate so that's the first part of genesis we're going to be getting in genesis we're going to go verse by verse we're going to go chapter by chapter we're going to look at the word of god and we're going to see what god's word has to say concerning the book of genesis we're going to answer a lot of questions about dinosaurs and the ark and the animals on the ark we're going to talk about fossils we're going to talk about cool pictures of megalodons and different dinosaurs that are out there and how god created all these creatures and how we can know without a shadow of a doubt God's word says it and we can trust it. Hopefully our goal through this is not to be super smart and get all this information, but to encourage us in our faith that we have a firm foundation, that we can trust God's word, and that when the assailants of those that are shooting missiles of evolution and millions of years and and telling us that we can't believe God's word, we pick up the shield of faith and those fiery darts begin to be quenched. Amen? We put on the whole armor of God. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon by Pastor Chris Mitchell with Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us on our Facebook page at Pleasant Grove 319.